District of Conservation is sponsored by the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, better known as CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to cfact.org. Thanks for listening to the program. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. It was a wild time at Safari Club International's annual convention, the second one I've attended, second one in a row, interestingly enough, and I made the most of my trip, and I want to use this episode briefly to talk about what I saw and also share some interviews that I did or speeches I heard. The convention is going to be in Nashville for the foreseeable future, and if you don't know what Safari Club International is, head over to their website and also go back with some of the episodes I've had here on the program. I've spoken to Ben Cassidy, who is executive vice president for international government and public affairs. And Ben used to work for the Department of Interior under the previous administration. Great guy, good advocate for sportsmen and women. And so Safari Club, we love their work here on the program. They have a great show. And this one was equally as well attended as last year. And I wasn't there for the full show because I had commitment here in Washington relating to energy and other conservation policy. So work comes first, then I can do my freelancing on the side. So this year, compared to last year, I was attending the convention as press because I still have press credentials through the Professional Outdoor Media Association and some of my other affiliations in media. So I still do that, of course, even with my expanded roles with Independent Women's Forum. I essentially had two days at the convention this year. I I feel like I had more time to see booths and exhibitors this year. Last year, it was more so meetings and doing interviews in kind of like a professional capacity. But this year, it was me doing events, creating content. And here's a quick snapshot of what I saw, what I did. So I first arrived to Nashville probably Friday afternoon. It was perfect weather because the groundhog, Puxatawney Phil, gave a great prediction. He didn't see his shadow. So thank you, Groundhog, for giving us an early spring. But more seriously, I landed at the Nashville airport, quickly dropped off my belongings, and I headed to Music City Center where I went to go look around at the exhibitors, meet up with some friends, long-lost social media contacts, and I first ran into Lynn Hoffman. Not related, but I know him and his wife, Lacey. We've been longtime social media contacts, and he does a lot in the outfitting business. And I spoke to one of his colleagues who runs an outfitting business in New Mexico and spoke to him. You're going to see that in a vlog that I'm going to be putting out about the conference. So there's going to be a vlog. There's this podcast. I'm going to do something at town hall as it relates to politics of this and kind of highlight what, how important the show is from a political standpoint and point out an interesting statistic, which I heard at the congressional sportsman's foundation event. I'll talk about in a moment. And then I also spoke to Paul Anderson, who does El Dorado Outfitters, and he's a longtime social media contact as well. So I wanted to first talk to a few exhibitors and people that I've been in touch with to kind of get a sense of how the show is going for them. So we have the political angle. We have the business angle. After going to the show floor, I made my way over to the Omni Hotel to attend Congressional Sportsman's Foundation happy hour or kind of reception that they were having in sync with the SEI convention. And you all had heard 
Previously, not too long ago, I went to their NASC summit in Delaware. They hold it every year in a different location, but they held it most recently in Delaware here in the Mid-Atlantic. And that was such a really wonderful event, one of my favorite kind of policy summits I've been to in a long time. And so I always make it an effort now to go to any CSF event. And so I was at CSF, and I will play for you some remarks from Bruce Westerman, chairman of the House of Natural Resources Committee. And I got to speak with him for a little bit, maybe 15, 20 minutes, catch up with him. I hadn't seen him in a couple years, told him what I'm up to, asked him about certain policy stuff. And so it was nice to catch up with him. And maybe we'll have, I think we're going to have the congressman back on the podcast at some point in time. Saw some people I know from CSF, lovely folks. I also got to see, but I didn't talk to, I think it was Congressman Rich Hudson, who was SEI's legislator of the year. He was there kind of lurking around. They gave him a shout out. Uh, but Bruce Westerman gave remarks on behalf of the Congressional Sportsman Caucus talking about some of their achievements, how they're blocking bad legislation, and some of the recent victories they've had. And I'll play a snapshot of that later. I saw also Senator Roger Marshall. He was there. I think I saw Mark Green. So Mark Green and Richard Hudson were the chief sponsors of the bill to restore funding for hunters education and shooting sports from K to 12. So we had Congressman Green on. I haven't spoken to Richard Hudson But both of them sponsored the bill, which received a lot of bipartisan support across both the House and the Senate. And it went to President Biden's desk and they re-signed funding for school archery hunting and shooting sports programs because it was extremely boneheaded through the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act to rescind funding for this, for these critical hunting, hunter's education programs. So it was good to see them, even though I didn't speak to them, but I did catch up with Chairman Westerman of the House Natural Resources Committee. And one of CSF's employees or board members, I forget his name off the top of my head right now, but it wasn't Jeff Crane, president of the organization, but one of their board members or employees had shared a very alarming statistic to me, and I'm going to try to find this, but it was very interesting and kind of concerning that they revealed that 74% of sportsmen and women, hunters, anglers, shooting sports enthusiasts, do not vote. I was shocked to learn that. I mean, I've heard there's a general apathy about sportsman engagement. I've, I've known this anecdotally. I've heard this from different people. But if that statistic is true, how do people not view them as a potential constituency to sway? I mean, this could be from both the right and the left. But I think I always talk about conservation being conservative. So to conservative Republicans, how do they not take those numbers and try to convert you know, those people into voters? Because it's going to be a lot harder, let's be honest, to get Democrats to support sportsmen and women rights overtly. You don't see so many do so, maybe at the state legislature level, but you have very few at the federal level. This is just the plain honest truth who are appealing to sportsmen and women, unless they're more kind of preservationist or uh, these are sportsmen and women who may be upland bird hunters or fly anglers who are in agreement with progressive aims. You do see that. So there may be some swayable people if they lean more to the left who may vote for the the left, Democrats, et cetera. But there's a huge opportunity specifically for conservative Republicans to win over those 74% of sportsmen and women who don't vote. So we're going to find that statistic. I'm going to include it in my report from this because I think it's important to highlight in my roundup at town hall about this very event. So that was startling to me, but unsurprising, but still concerning. So I thought I should share that with you all here. And then I got to catch up with some of my fellow professional outdoor media association board members, uh, Kevin Paulson and Brittany Booth, 
who I didn't realize they worked together and in, in, in concert with one another for uh, Kevin's Hunting Life magazine publication. Uh, Brittany does a lot with her own, um, you know, with her company, Booth Media Group, and she does a lot in the upland bird space and hunting dog space. Uh, Zach Vakurovich, who has been a guest on the program, uh, newly selected to the board to fill a vacancy that we just had there. So a couple of us board members there, uh, we got to meet and catch up. And we have a great lineup for our POMA business conference happening this year in Pinewood, South Carolina. I'll probably have some of them come on to talk about the show. Maybe President Kevin Reese to come talk about what you can expect at the show this year. So we had a little bit of a big reunion. I got to see, you know, political people I know, people from the outdoor media space. And then later on Friday night, I went back to my hotel, kind of settled back and changed into a more appropriate outfit for going to Broadway, the famous street in downtown Nashville, which is a crazy place. I've never been there late at night and I got to see some interesting characters there. (laughs) But I went to the Tin Roof for an event, a really fun party, co-hosted by Barstool Outdoors and Safari Club International. One of my new friends, E.C. Wheatley, who works for the Herald Group, and they're a big communications firm. They do a lot with Safari Club International and Barstool Outdoors. So E.C. was like, Gabriella, when you come to SEI to cover the show, do you want to come to this party? I'm like, sure. I'm not usually in the target demographic for Barstool Sports. I know some of my friends follow it, but I'm completely kind of like ambivalent to it. But I've seen some of the content from Barstool Outdoor and they always post interesting content. They even create their own content. I got to meet Sydney Wells, who is kind of the overseer and manager of Barstool Outdoors uh, for the past several years. And she was really nice. We didn't get a chance to interview, but I'm hoping to bring her on the podcast at some point. I got to see more people from the policy world talk more with Congressional Sportsman Foundation Folks, I got to talk to South Carolina representative Bobby Cox, who also works with Sig Sauer for a good time. It was good to get to know him, and he's going to want to come, I believe, talk about his constitutional carry bill that he is carrying and that should be passing in South Carolina this week or next week. So we're going to have Bobby Cox come on the program. He's great, awesome defender of the Second Amendment, sporting rights. He's someone you ought to know, and we're going to have him on the podcast. And I ran into a lot of friends like Christy Titus and her husband. Got to catch up with Ben Cassidy, who I mentioned earlier. He is great. And he was a hoot at the party, too, when they were welcoming everyone. And totally unbeknownst to me, I don't normally get starstruck. And even when I see famous people or well-known people, I'm not the person, unless someone is a mutual friend and they introduce us, you know, I really don't care about bothering someone, a, a public figure. But unbeknownst to me, when I was at my table with Bobby and a few of the CSF people, I look to the left of my eye and I see someone who looks very familiar. And I was like, oh, guy has a beard, smoking a cigar. Who does he look like? Who is this guy? And I see that it's country singer Riley Green. And let me tell you, ladies, he is just as handsome in person as he is online. But I wasn't going to go up and bother him. He wouldn't know who I am. But I think we have a few mutual friends, but, and I think he wanted to maintain a low profile because he probably gets handed down by fans, especially crazed women all the time. And I'm not like that. I would, if I had a chance to talk to him, I would say, Hey, I really like your music and I appreciate you, you know, showcasing sportsmen and women activities and being a good steward of conservation and an advocate for waterfall duck hunting. I would have been really chill about that. Like I, I talked to a lot of politicians and, and other notable people, so it wouldn't be difficult for me to talk to him if I did. But I was like, I don't want to disturb him. He's keeping a low profile. But it was funny to see some people rush up to him and get a photo with him. But that was kind of a random, um, interesting sighting there. 
And I mean, there were other people throughout the convention I saw on SCI social media that all these country singers, I believe also Chase Rice was there. Uh, there was Kid Rock in attendance. Obviously, they had a lot of performances from Cody Johnson. I believe Jason Aldean, of course, performed and a few other bands. So it wasn't unsurprising to see celebrities come to. And I think there was one guy from what the show Southern Charm. I don't follow that TV drama, but I saw that that guy from Southern Charm, I believe, was there and a couple other, you know, well-known people. Oh, famous athletes. I thought I saw a guy who looked like Julian Edelman, but this guy had more tattoos and, than Julian Edelman, formerly of the New England Patriots. But there were a lot of professional athletes, but some guy looked like Julian Edelman, uh, but it wasn't him when I cross-referenced to see later if it was. And so let's talk about the next day. So Saturday, as I recall from last year, is always when, in the morning especially, they host the Women's Mix and Mingle. And I do not miss this event But before I went to the Women's Mix and Mingle, I sat down with my friend Christy Titus, host of the Pursue the Wild video series and the Wild and Uncut podcast to record an episode of her Wild and Uncut podcast. And we were trying to do this last year, didn't have enough time. And Christy was so generous with her schedule because I came towards the tail end of the show and she's like, we'll we'll find a way to fit you in and, and get you on the podcast. And we were able to make something work just ahead of the women's mix and mingle. And I don't want to give away too much from our conversation, but it's perfectly fine to talk about and tease it here that we spoke about kind of my story, my fascination with policy work, and we went into how I got interested in these activities, fishing, shooting sports, and hunting. But we really went into depth, and I want to talk more about it here because I've, I've shared a little bit about it, but Christy and I both do a lot of filming on public lands. And so she and I went into kind of this deep dive into wanting to see reforms in Congress about film permits, making sure that not everything is viewed in the prism of being interpreted as a commercial film project. So there's a bill that recently passed called the Explore Act. It's a big outdoor recreation package. And as part of Independent Women's Voice, which is our kind of C4 arm of Independent Women's Forum, I was able to lend a letter in endorsement of the bill, especially three aspects, including the Film Act portion. And so I, I like what I see from the bill, and I especially appreciate this reform as someone who goes and films on public lands. I've filmed on BLM land. I have filmed on Forest Service land. I've filmed on National Park Service land. And Christy has had that same experience. Like largely, she and I both said in our podcast together that we don't really have much of trouble from BLM, Bureau of Land Management, or National Park Service. What I typically do as a courtesy whenever I'm potentially filming, I may not know the dates when I'm filming, but I like to do a courtesy email to the regional managers, those who oversee, you know, BLM lands where I'm filming or National Park Service lands. So when I went to go film at Craters of the Moon, I emailed the person there. When I went to go film at Bears Ears and some of the other places, I reached out to the folks ahead of time. The only place where I had a little bit of trouble was Bears Ears. If, ultimately, the person did give me written permission to go film there just to make sure that I wasn't going on any sensitive ground where there were antiquities. And having to go back and forth with a bureaucrat sometimes can be very frustrating. But the, the guy was nice in the end, and he said, yeah, you can film. I know, and I trust you. Just have this on hand. No one hassled us when we filmed at Bears Ears for our Conservation Nation episode on Utah. Um, I similarly asked, you know, in Arizona, they're like, oh, you are totally fine. Don't worry. Um, so I've largely had a good experience dealing with the agencies, but I shouldn't have to go through the hoops to have to get like written permission for a low impact film project. Both Christy and I lamented, as you'll learn and see in our conversation whenever that drops very soon, hopefully, that the most challenging agency to work with is the Forest Service. When I filmed my 
Montana forestry portion of my overall forestry report for Conservation Nation CFACT, we went through a contact through Steve Gunderson, uh, chairman of the Natural Resources Committee on the House side in Montana. And the lady was lovely to work with. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to pay this fee, which was a couple hundred dollars. I think it's a base rate of like 125 a day. Then you have to worry and, and provide insurance. And so I did supply that information from CFACT. So they were like, yeah, Gabriella, of course you can supply it. No problem. And the lady who oversees Kootenai National Forest thankfully said, oh, all checks out fine. You don't need to pay this fee. It's a low impact film. You're going to be filming with under six people. You have our permission. You're all good to go. So if you have people on the inside, like I have, you're going to be lucky and not have to deal with this. But Christy was saying that she had to pay the fees and have to go through these hoops just to get approval to film on the Forest Service, Forest Service lands. And the reason why this is the case is because there's a 2022 lower court decision. I think it was a federal court decision. And it basically said that... Because of advanced digital media these days and the potential for you to make money, even by posting a still photo or a video using your smartphone, the standard should be that every project you do, even low impact filming from your smartphone or photography can be assumed to be a commercial project. And that is a ridiculous standard to have. It has so many first amendment questions. It has a freedom of assembly question. It has a you know, implications relating to public lands access to me. And I told this to Christy in our conversation, I think it, it could be assumed to be an attack on public lands access because then if everyone has to apply for a permit just to take something on your phone, because you may make money posting it on social media and, and the burden of proof of that, how do you prove that? Do you have to showcase this to the government? So we've seen as a response to this, that different national park service grounds or national park service sites uh, Bureau of Land Management and even Forest Service, especially in Alaska, we started to see this. Alaska locations have changed their policy about filming. So they put that everything can be assumed to be a high impact commercial project. So because of that court decision, they've changed the standards and the Biden administration hasn't really said anything to oppose that. However, because of the Blue Ribbon Coalition, Ben Burr from there, who's a friend of the show, uh, we've had him on to talk about this. So because of their work, there actually is a rule in the fall 2023 unified agenda to clarify what a commercial film project is. So because of Blue Ribbon Coalition's efforts, we have seen a rule to to change what the standard is so the courts can't say that everything should be assumed to be a high impact commercial project. And then as a result, you know, strip people of their First Amendment rights to photograph or film on public lands. And I'm not talking about the ridiculous like selfie stick filming going into forbidden areas like filming in commonly publicly accessible areas and posting it on social media is within our rights it's within our rights to access film catalog even on a casual basis especially a low impact basis we should have the right to film or photograph without having to get a permit for just doing casual photography and filmography so this deep dive Christy and I did on this subject is something I think you guys will really like. And to top it off, I went to the Women's Mix and Mingle. It was put on with SCI's Vertical Women Go Hunting initiative. And they honored some women who had submitted, I think, entries to a contest. I think Women 100 um, in terms of their hunting harvests. And they showcased that. Then they also had and honored some Diana winners. So they SCI 
um, does a lot to reach out to women hunters. So they have women who are recipients of the Diana Award, Goddess of the Hunt. And there was a keynote from Aurelia Skip with Giacometto, who was formerly Fish and Wildlife Director under President Trump, and now she is Secretary of Louisiana DEQ, Department of Environmental Quality, under Jeff Landry, newly sworn in Governor Louisiana, Jeff Landry. And she shared her story about how she got interested in hunting and fishing, what she did as Fish and Wildlife Director, and kind of previewing what she hopes to do as DEQ Secretary in Louisiana under the Landry administration. And it's such a great story. And I was telling Aurelia, as I got to know her, I first met her last year, finally, after being in touch for a while, I thought the coverage of her was so unfair. Like she was a very historic pick, but that's not the only reason why she was qualified to be fish and wildlife director. She was very qualified. She understood the issues at play. She engaged stakeholders, but a lot of the media did not give her a fair rap. And at some point, whenever she is a little less busy, we're going to have her on the program. She's promised me an interview sometime in the future, but she really is one of like the most fascinating policy people in this space. And if you do not hear her story at some point, you will from me here at District of Conservation. But I think a lot of the ladies loved hearing from her, loved learning about her story and left the ladies mix and mingle very inspired. So now that you've heard my overview, a little bit of a long overview of kind of my impressions of the convention, what I saw, what I got to experience, I want to play for you a few remarks from some of the folks I spoke to or I heard. So first, I'm going to play a clip from Henry and Lakeisha Woodard, who are phenomenal hunting folks from Mississippi, great advocates, good ambassadors to the sport. I'm going to play a little bit of remarks from House Natural Resources Committee Chairman Bruce Westerman, and then I'll round it out a little bit with... Aurelia Skip with Giacomato and some of the remarks from the ladies mix and mingle. So here you go. We are so excited about all of the outfitters, the new outfitters from all over the world here. We are so excited to get ready to book some hunts that we haven't been on before. So we're just really excited about what's um, out there. I'm just excited about the endless Mississippi shuffle opportunities <laughs> that we can put on animals out here. I'm excited about just seeing the outdoor family, the friends, just everybody out here meeting all kinds of people, uh, booking hunts. Uh, it's just a place to be. You know, we talk about uh, the importance of the work that we do on the committee, and just right, there were only 27 bills passed, uh, and we got to work on a couple of those. But sometimes it's not about getting bills passed, it's about stopping bad things. You know, my brother and I, a couple of years ago, on the last day of duck season, we decided we would go to some, uh, a public hunting place, and it's not the best one in the world, and it's pretty close to where we live. And our goal is to, to go there, to get into the water, not fall in, get wet, to get decoys out, and we define success if we saw a duck that day. Uh, we left with, we, we saw two ducks and killed one of them, so we had a great success. Uh, but it was more about you know getting there and, and not doing something bad, and that's kind of that we're in, in Congress right now. We're stopping a lot of bad stuff and we're able to pass bills. And it's, it's things like uh, the New York Stock Exchange and the, and the Security Exchange Commission putting a rule out there in kind of the, the shade of not to create a natural asset company that foreign countries can invest in and they go out and uh, lock up our, our federal lands. Things like that. We're able to stop that. Uh, we talk about the uh, uh, the Hunter's Education 
the uh, arch ramp and place for shooting in, in hospitals. Uh, you know, some bureaucrat tried to stop that. We were able to, uh, to get them to, to back off on that. Things like that. And so as director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, it was great because I got to get out and meet the people. And it's the decisions that we make in government, either at the federal level or at the state level, they make an impact. And the reason why they make an impact is because of you. And so you see the laws that are coming out, you see the regulations that are coming out. And the way to fight that is to get involved. And that's what you guys are doing every single day. That's why you're standing here every single day. And that's why there's organizations like Safari Club International that are fighting for what we do. So your membership is so, so important. And so I looked at some of the projects that I worked on when I was director. It was everything from oil and gas, solar farms, wind farms, and every single thing has an impact. Either water, land, wildlife, aquatic species. But regardless of the impact that it has, you look at it all the same. Because if there's an impact, there's always a way that you use science to figure out how you create that balance. Yes, we want to have our great outdoors, but I tell you, being in Louisiana, I haven't experienced that first summer yet, but I tell you, I want my air conditioning. <laughs> so we see things of, well, let's make sure that we have our solar farms. I'm like, let's make sure we still have our coal mines. <laughs> and so, Governor Landry, he took office, it was January 7th when he got sworn in, and he laid out the theme. It's called Welcome Home Louisiana. And so I'm very proud to call Louisiana home now. And so he said, we are open for business. So over 70% of Louisiana's GDP comes from the fossil fuel industry and the petrochemical industry. We just recently saw the, the decision that came out from the Biden administration that shut down all new LNG exports. Currently, right now, there's 18 that they've identified. 12 of them are in Louisiana. So you look at not only that impact that it has on one state, that's an impact across this country. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people, and I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners, and we have just hit 1,000 followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.